Hello and welcome to this episode 144 of Extinctionati. And uh, tonight, me and Karina, we're try, going to try to say something uh, interesting about the El Nino phenomenon. Um, and we are not experts, so you have to bear with us. And uh, the, the reason we are going to talk about it is that everybody else seems to be talking about it. And this is kind of the next big thing on the climate scene. And, uh, you know, by looking into it and trying to graph it, which is kind of what I do, uh, I found that we had a major, the previous major El Nino, which went up to three degrees above for the areas uh, concerned here was the 2015 to 2016 uh, El Nino. And some people say it started in 2014, uh, so two year El Nino, but um, I certainly didn't see that from the Nino 3.4 SSD index, but you know, I'm just an amateur and maybe some of you watching this can comment comment on the YouTube stream and set us straight. Um, so that's what I'm seeing. And the voices who are saying, no, no, there won't be a Nino because there is some ice floating north from Antarctica. They are kind of being put to the side. Uh, I don't know. What, what are you seeing, Karina? Are you seeing something the only optimistic? Person the only person that's talking about um, the icebergs, um, almost all the mainstream science scientists and everyone is predicting an El Nino strong one. The only person who's um, kind of looking at the, the Antarctic ice melt situation and the icebergs is Chris Van Steenbergen, who's an independent scientist from, I believe he's from Belgium. And he, um, just a just a quote from his last um, tweet. He he. I'll just. It's a real quick quote. The point is that whenever large icebergs approach sixty degrees south, fifty degrees west, the Nino uh, indices or indices. I think it's indices begin to fall. But the reason why this happens is still unknown so far. We keep analyzing data. So um, he seems to still be hanging on to um, a, possi a possibility that we there may we may not we may go back to La Niña's because of all the ice inertia coming from the melting of Antarctica, and um, it's basically Antarctica is really starting to. Um, uh, it was very, you know, it's been a very quiet area, but it's in the last two years, it's really starting to get loud down there. And uh, yeah. For real. Uh, I have uh, tried to look at uh, the um, connections between the polar ice caps and the El Nino. And mm -hmm. uh, what I found was maybe most interesting for Antarctica because. Uh, you know, there used to be a time when all the climate deniers would uh, say, uh, what about Antarctica? What about Antarctica? Because the, the sea ice down there was uh, 
kind of trending upwards until about 2015. And then you got the, um, the big super El Nino 2015-16. Uh, and then actually you got to a new all-time low for sea ice in Antarctica in 2016, I think it was. Uh, at least that's, that's what I saw last night. And I think I remember. Um, so, but what, what happened was that we also got uh, a, an all-time low for, you know, for annual average sea ice extent in, in the Arctic up in the north in 2016. Um, so, so that seems, this seems related. I, I couldn't really say if it is related, but it seems related because the graph for the sea ice sort of turned very sharply in midsummer in May or June or something of 2015, uh, seemingly without any specific reason. And then we went, came down to the next year after that, the, the sea ice volume, the thickness also um, got a recorded an all time low for the whole year averaged for the sea ice in the Arctic. So these things seem related and um, it's not without reason because the El Nino, even though it's sort of measured to the west of the coast of Peru in South America, it, it has repercussions for the monsoon in, in, in India and drought, drought or flooding in Australia and all kinds of uh, sort of climate extremes uh, all over the planet. Uh, at least that's that's kind of my impression, and you know they, these things, even though they they come regularly, like every five or seven years or something, or irregularly, but but at that kind of uh, frequency, it's a pretty long time ago uh, for for us people. I can kind of sense because you know if in my case maybe I started following the Arctic situation in 2013 uh, 10 years ago uh, that means it's only been one big El Nino or, or two if you count the 2018-19 uh, uh, which was a smaller one uh, during our time as kind of followers right so for most of the people watching this thing maybe the first ever El Nino while they were uh, caught on to the, the abrupt climate change uh, sort of bandwagon. Yeah. Um, do you think that, because I know you've been following, I used to, I mean, I followed your work so closely. Um, and, you know, when, when uh, we, you know, think, you know, the, things were warming very quickly until we got this triple dip La Nina. And um, in the last, in, you know, since 2020 um, and the, the Arctic kind of, it seemed like um, it was hanging on, you know, the ice was hanging on, you know, because of this triple dip La Nina. Um, do you think that with, if we do go into this very strong El Nino, um, with all the sea ice volume loss, and it's my understanding that in the the, the um, September October timeframe, we've lost already eighty percent of the ice, the volume. 
Do you think that if we, we, we go into a strong El Nino, do you think we could have a BOE? Uh, yeah, so, certainly. Uh, I think, uh, I think that's a very valid question. Uh, I do, however, think that it's more likely in the coming year, you know, in, in mm -hmm. 2024. Yes. Yeah. Just because the, you know, the, the full three month, uh, and then you they base it on three, three consecutive months. Uh, and so the full El Nino won't be declared, I think, before, let's say, May, June, July. It may be declared in July, you know, scientifically. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means it has only, you know, about a month of, of really hard melt because in August it, it's, it slows down. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say that it's, uh, it's less likely that it will, uh, will happen and it will be below 1 million square kilometers in uh, in 2013 September uh, because it's just uh, you would have to sort of start working on the on the melting at an earlier stage in the year uh, yeah you know it's like it's like thinking like a farmer you know is uh, things that uh, things that arrive if you get your new, new tractor in July you know, it won't it won't help you very much because you needed it to to, to plow the fields uh, earlier in the year, uh, in a way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But What's there it? are some there there are some people out there who who believe that uh, uh, even even if the September ice is is still sort of plenty, uh, it can still happen in October, November. No, it can't because it's the Arctic; it gets cold and, and yeah. the sun is, sun goes away. So. Uh, kind of a you have to sort of understand how nature works and how cold and warm works uh, you can't just uh, put, put up your spreadsheet and say that ah, but if it melts this and this uh, much in november no forget it <laughs> but but what about the a lot of the heat is 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 below it the arctic ocean is different to the rest of the oceans where it's warmer mm -hmm. below and colder above um, there's all the, there's all the heat blobs, all that warm water coming in from, um, the Atlantic with, you know, you've got Atlantic, Atlantification in the Barents Sea. Um, and yeah, so you have all that warm water coming in. Um, so, I mean, so even though it, it does get colder and this, the sun is, there's less sun, couldn't that water below with those those heat blobs are moving up, you know they're moving higher and higher up. Yeah, so, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a there's a saying that uh, the Arctic Ocean already has uh, many times over. Uh, oh yeah, and the energy uh, it, it needs yep. uh, in in order to melt uh, all the ice at any any time. But but it's it's sort of the the salt and temperature stratification, the, the different layers uh, of the Arctic Ocean, that makes it uh, stay put, stay 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 down. Um, but absolutely, if if you got a, a terrible, uh, topsy-turvy storm event or some kind of uh, super hurricane um, up there during mm -hmm. the start of the El Nino or something. Then, then it, it could it could happen, and uh, with the ice as thin as it is uh, these days, you know, it's uh, 
it's absolutely possible. Uh, you also have the the blowout uh, effect uh, that if if you get the right pressure and wind uh, systems, you can actually blow out all the all the ice down the Fram Strait between Svalbard and, and Greenland, right? So so you you could kind of lose most of the ice even without melting it in place. You can just blow it down to warmer waters. Uh, yeah. So that absolutely many possibilities. But uh, I think one of the things we need to learn from the Chris Stenberg and uh, uh, thing is that uh, you know don't expect the fantastic. Don't you know if you if you hear if you hear. Uh, I don't even know it's called in in English. The the feet of the horses is an expression. If you hear hoes, don't expect zebras. Expect expect horses. You know. So <laughs> <laughs> if you're in a northern place, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why Chris Van Steenbergen's tweets have intrigued me because no, you know, normally he's by this time he would be just focusing on the Arctic, you know, but he's really mm. latching on to this. Um, and, you know, because also the Antarctic, um, the ice melt has really, the rate has really gone up in the last two years. So so he's seeing things that are um, very different to pr prior to two years ago. Um, mm -hmm. So another thing is when reading um, Hansen's book in his, in his paper too, he's always talking about this ice inertia, you know. So that's, that's why I'm also intrigued by and why Hansen's timelines are so conservative and and why isn't Hansen so worried about the Arctic you know or he may be worried in private but in public he doesn't really he he looks at Hansen looks at more the whole system like he doesn't go into to specifics that much except for aerosols that's when, where he goes more into specifics um mm -hmm. but yeah but when it comes to yeah he he looks the rest of the stuff he kind of looks in a he looks in a very big picture way, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, you know the the data is kind of lagging. Uh, I'm looking at the the ice sheets themselves or the um, Greenland and Antarctic uh, land ice, the glacier ice, right? Yeah. And so at the at the moment in data, in data we are in November. That's the, the latest data point for for the ice sheets. So. Mm -hmm. Things things are not published the, the same same time uh, it's measured. So at the moment, yeah, we actually have. If you look at Antarctica, which is negative melt, so Antarctica is actually over the past twelve months, it's uh, it's gained ice and snow, uh, and the Greenland has lost. About the same amount that the mm -hmm. Antarctica has gained. Mm -hmm. So, the next month, which is uh, December uh, this winter, uh, last that year, uh, may be the first time in quite a lot of years that the the combined effect of Antarctica and Greenland will be to to in some to, to gain. To gain ice and sort of lower the sea levels, right? But that's you know that's just right uh, at the end of last year, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm pretty sure that those graphs for the uh, 
glacier ice sheets in in, the, in Greenland and Antarctica are going to change very much and go up very much with the El Nino because we get uh, rainfall patterns and uh, also warm uh, currents in, in the ocean, in the southern ocean. So I think we're going to see a big, big uh, major change, especially if you have a super El Nino, uh, mm -hmm. then I think Antarctica will, will be hit pretty hard. Uh, by that yeah mm -hmm. yeah no it, it's it's we're we're just in unknown territory you know what i mean we're it, things are really um especially i realized this when we got this triple dip la nina because um you know models most of the climate models were showing that we were supposed to get more el ninos and suddenly we got this triple dip la nina and we're still feeling the effects mm. of it i mean even though we're neutral we're we're still you know, like you were saying, there's a um, delayed response, you know. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's that's kind of opened my eyes, especially when I when I read an article with a um, with, you know, talking about this triple, how odd this is that we're not getting more El Nino's as the IPCC had predicted the models that IPCC has been using. And um, he in the, the scientists was saying in the article that it's because we're not modeling ice sheet melt um, yeah. <laughs> correctly. So, um, and also, or or, or at all, uh, some some scientists yeah. say that they don't have ice in the models at all. So that's, that's good to guess. Yeah. <laughs> but the, you know what the, um, Paul Beckfield said in that video you sent me. He he said uh, he says that. Uh, one of the effects of having this triple dip or a three-year La Nina is that all the heat that's been building up in the oceans uh, for a long time, now for an even longer time, it's been kept down in deep. And when it comes up now, it uh, increases the the likelihood of having a big super or maybe even Godzilla El Nino, uh, you know, because it's been kept under wraps for so long. Now it comes up and uh, yeah, so what does it mean for the for the larger uh, collapse of economies and uh, and civilization? I think is a big question. Um, uh, in some way, it, it goes hand in hand with what some people have been calling for a um, have been calling a an, a managed collapse. You know, with mm -hmm. sort of attacks on on the on food processing. Uh, Industries and attack on farmers in in uh, the Netherlands and uh, Hungary and Italy. You know, it's it's kind of an attack from all fronts. We have the stupid politicians, or maybe the clever evil politicians, kind of soft collapsing the economy for whatever reason. I don't know why they would do that or if they are doing it. But if you get a big super linear on top of that, you know, with, with floods and droughts and uh, a real big crisis for the for the food production uh, in on the planet, then you you may actually have a very good test case, uh, whether the elites want that test case or not. Uh, but there are reasons to believe that they want they want to have a kind of uh, half managed collapse maybe to improve their uh, 
resilience. I don't know, or maybe they are just you know plain evil. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. I want to. Um, I want to go. Uh, this is a very good questions you're asking, but I, I I need to go back to the Arctic. Do you mind? No, no. Okay. Um, another thing about the way the Arctic was modeled. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but during the Emian, which was the last interglacial, um, you know, which you know the it's in the last. I believe it's in the last four hundred thousand years. They've been um, looking at the the, gla the glacial to interglacial cycle, um, and uh, basically they were, you know, they, they picked sort of they've kind of focused on the last four hundred thousand years, and they've noticed like the glacial period is about um, hundred thousand, and the interglacials are about like between ten to fifteen thousand years. So we're at the end of this interglacial, the the, the Holocene. And the Emian was, was, which was the prior interglacial, um, you know, they 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 assumed that the Arctic melted, the Arctic ice melted, and some scientists disproved that, um, and they said that the the um, the Arctic uh, was was kept protected, the ice was kept protected during the Emian. And, and this was mainly due, they believe there was a strong current, maybe where the AMOC, I'm not sure if it's the same location as where the AMOC is or whatever, um, was, 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 was um, keeping uh, warm water from getting to um, the Arctic, as well as it, there was different levels of greenhouse gases. I mean, I could, I, I won't go into all the details of the difference, but so basically, I guess my point is, is that maybe the mod, they were also modeling, they, 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 they weren't really mod, they just weren't, they didn't know how to really properly model what's happening right now in the Arctic. That's why I, you see so, such little information on Arctic, the Arctic in the mainstream mm -hmm. media, you know, it's so, mm -hmm. it's so, it's not discussed a lot, which is very odd to me. Um, so it's especially how important it is as an alp without it doesn't matter to a sea level rise but it does matter for um the albedo effect you know yeah so i, I just wanted to mention that um but we, we i can go maybe next time i'll i'll have more information you know i'll put together more information on on the details of that but um mm -hmm. oh so going back to um what you were talking about did you want to say anything about what i just said or do you want to start talking about the collapse yeah, um, both. <laughs> uh, I totally uh, support what you're saying. That the the you know a part of it is is science itself, but the the mm -hmm. other part is kind of uh, popularized science or what the media say about it. And mm -hmm. uh, at least for the latter, you have a very strong tendency for uh, controlling the message uh, in a way. And it goes all the way to to even uh, you know Piomas in uh, at the Washington University you know where where you live um, they they are the ones who have the the ice thickness or volume model right and when they when they update uh, their numbers every month they they put a spin on. They put a narrative on, on sort of what's happening, 
And uh, one of the things they do is that they they include a very short term cherry picked uh, number of years, 12 years uh, from 2011 to today. Uh, so they, they write every month, they write that uh, uh, there is no uh, visible or significant trend in the sea ice for the Arctic uh, for the past 12 years. And then they don't uh, explain to people why they picked those 12 years in, in particular. Because, mm -hmm. if, you know, uh, the meteorologists uh, at the WMO and stuff and, and sort of nationally and national meteorologists all over the world, they use 30-year periods for anything climate-related because, because you have this natural uh, variety where one year is hot and one is colder and you have the El Nino on top of that. So, yeah, so they don't sort of... Uh, it's not considered wise to cancel uh, climate change uh, every five years just because you, know, just because, uh, you didn't break the record every single year. Uh, so, so you have a tendency to sort of play down what is happening in the Arctic, and uh, if you specialize uh, in uh, in graphing it or looking at the longer terms, like I've done in in some uh, to some extent, you can very clearly see that this is a sort of a very dramatic uh, crash into the wall uh, story, or. Uh, it, you know, just by looking at the data, uh, but uh, kind of these, these um, controlled media, these uh, uh, capitalist-owned media, many of them working together with the intelligence community, they kind of put a lid on it, and they want to say that oh, it was only the six lowest or whatever. Uh, so they they kind of give you an, a different uh, impression. Of it, and uh, one of the main ways they use when they do that is to just focus on yeah, the last three years, last five years, last eight years, last twelve years, uh, and say that uh, no, it, it seems it, uh, it there's been a pause. It's it stopped uh, stopped collapsing. The ice is doing fine, and there's a recovery. They use all of these kind of words and. It, it, sometimes it feels like they are uh, getting paid uh, by how many of these pause and recovery words that they use. You know, it, it's like they, they're looking for a big payday uh, when they can uh, sort of feed the feed the climate denial uh, narrative uh, uh, as much as they can. So that's yeah. Very, yeah, it's very different from, from what's really going on. Uh, and then going back to Hugh, I, I learned so much from Lord Hugh. He also said they have to make it look like they're in control. So they have to make it look like they have climate in control. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? But we're really in uncharted territories, and they don't want to admit that. Yeah, that's the, that's the way I understand it. And... Uh, you know, like we've been talking about on this uh, on this uh, show for many months, um, the, what would happen if everybody understood or realized that uh, things would be 
society will no longer be here five years from now, then everybody would you know go screaming mad in the streets and uh, stop uh, paying taxes or you know declaring war on the on the next block on the next street. Uh, so I think it's already happening. I mean, I think the the Paris and the French riot riot. I mean the 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 um, protests are are um it's I, I think it's already started and we're i think things are gonna get i i just have a really bad feeling um and it's it's much sooner than than i mean just getting through the you know just getting through the day and getting through the month get, getting through the year that's how i'm seeing it now we're we're really in dangerous dangerous we're in dangerous times especially because i i look at it uh with with the with the energy crisis uh we're, we're definitely an overshoot and uh, we have a very complex international economy that needs a lot of cheap fossil fuels or just needs cheap energy and so far the only energy and you, you know you need cheap and reliable and so far mm -hmm. for this for this civilization the one that started you know it's been going on for 200 years for this civilization, it has to be reliable and cheap. And so we're running out of that. And so a lot of, so it's, things are just really progressing to, from good to bad very, very quickly. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, uh, the big headline for 2023 and 24 is going to be food uh, actually uh you know it doesn't ma mean the energy thing goes away because that will be a big thing as well but uh, i think with the uh, all the attacks we've seen against uh, the food and agriculture uh, sector and when it gets schmack a big super linear on top of that um i think that is going to uh, create the situation that a lot of people have been talking about you know that you have if you have a, a sort of collapse or non-functioning of several uh, bread baskets around the world and you know ukraine is used to be called the bread, bread basket of europe uh, if you didn't know that so they yeah, are in total yeah, I, war. Remember, uh, I remember i just wanted to say something real quick I remember yeah. re uh, reading about the Nazis used to, tr they used to actually take soil from Ukraine in mm -hmm. the trains and they would ship it back to Germany. Yeah. So that's, that's a very, um, they have a very uh, fruitful or whatever you say, um, black soil. Um, but that's just one of many bread baskets around the world, you know. Um, so if you, if you have a collapse, or drought, flood, whatever, in three or four of these uh, breadbasket regions around the world in the same summer, uh, then you will very soon have a hunger, a famine situation. Because it used to be, you know, over the past uh, two decades, it used to be that uh, maybe Russia had a very bad harvest. And then there would be trains going from Paris in France, uh, many, many times, may maybe every hour with grain and with the, yeah, corn, as you call it in America, but basically with grain 
to Russia. So the world market would always uh, sort of uh, help out and uh, import export to the people who needed um, needed to compensate for the harvest uh, failing. Uh, but if you get two or three or four major collapses so because of different things, because of war and drought and flood, maybe hurricanes and stuff. Yeah, but energy, the, you have to add energy to that. And every calorie we eat has has um, energy behind it. So, yeah. so this this energy crisis, I think, is much even much worse in terms of the in terms of bringing the food crisis. It's already bringing the food crisis. It's much worse than even extreme weather. So extreme yeah. weather does add a big part to it too. But this this energy crisis is behind you know this very rapid bad situation we're seeing right now. Yeah, so a part of that is uh, fertilizer because these days you don't you don't only spread the uh, manure from cows and stuff. Uh, we create artificial fertilizer, and I think I think Russia is big on that. They're big Morocco. On that. I think Morocco uh, yeah. and Russia are are the there's something yeah. there are there two types of fertilizer fertilizers is it um i re, i was reading somewhere that um uh, that morocco has an insane amount of one of the types of fertilizer so yeah. ge ge geographically it's a very important zone um as well as russia so yeah mm. Is that something to do with potash, potassium? I think so. Do you want me to look it up? I can find it. No, no, you don't have okay. to look it up. <laughs> but uh, at least it, it's uh, what they call the Haber Bosch process, I think, where, where they can. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to look it up. Find, uh, they, can find, they can find nitrogen from, from the air, from the atmosphere, uh, with an industrial process. And. Uh, and in that way, kind of fool nature into thinking that this is a good soil, a good soil for growing things. So I think maybe we, we may see a collapse of in international society in terms of import and export of foods and maybe import and exports of fertilizer. That may happen in 2023, and that will that will at least it will uh, fulfill my definition from five years ago or something. Because if you have to sort of put a line in the sand or a milestone, uh, a hard milestone for when we have collapse of civilization, one way to define that would be that international trade breaks down. You know. And that there is no longer shipping between the continents, and everybody is sort of out for themselves to save themselves. Oh, I, I found it here. It's potash and phosphate. So, phosphate is okay. So, Morocco produces 70% of phosphate, and uh, potash, uh, let's see, potash is a very, very largely in Belarus and Russia. And half of the African countries are short of potash this year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that just means back to the old ways, you know, with the 
spreading the manure uh, over the fields. And uh, but that kind of um, reverses the so-called green revolution that you had in the 50s or 60s. I don't know. Uh, so you, you go back to lower yields because uh, the reason we got higher yields in the green revolution is that it was exactly that we started using artificial fertilizer and uh, uh, farm machinery and stuff, right? Uh, yeah. Kind of destroying the soil uh, in a short termism way of thinking. Uh, I think I've heard that I'm not an expert, I'm not a farmer, I'm kind of a city boy, but you know, um, uh, yeah, if, if, we, if we were to use the uh, permaculture ways of, of growing the soil, that's a, that's a perfect, uh, very nice, good thing to do for your farm and for, for your uh, local environments. Uh, but the problem with that is that it cannot feed 8 billion people. Uh, you know, uh, so it's a it's a good thing for the past and for the you know for the for the future when when, when there are fewer people to fewer mouths to feed, but it's not kind of a it's not kind of a solution to avoid collapse of of the civilization uh, that it can't do uh, because then you need everything you need all the energy and all the fertilizer and all the Farm machinery and tractors and harvesters. Yeah, and 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 you, um, yeah. So it's we're we're yeah we're at a a breaking point now. Like things are breaking in the system because, um, like in you know the rich countries, we import a lot of manu manufactured goods from the. Um, from you know the poor the countries that are not as you know uh, more more of the economically challenged countries, so um, so it, it looks as if we're gonna get so in those countries they're gonna they're gonna want to with their if you know the energy crisis they're want they're gonna want to use that energy to produce more of the basics to survive, so we're gonna see a lot less and it's already happening we're um, we're seeing a lot less um, global trade. Uh, because to the wealthy countries, um, because those countries are going to want to keep their energy for just surviving the basics. You know, they're going to simplify. And yeah. that means if you look at the Asian countries where a lot of those goods come from, that's all going to, that's going to decrease our standard of living. Um, well, I mean, I, I see it as good, but it's just, it's so hard to know. It, it, it's so surreal to even think about this all of this coming you know um but uh but then but then you you know something going back to science what the albedo uh problem you know lo losing aerosols um with all this aerosols are have already been coming down um so so we're gonna so it you know the the, the planet's gonna could potentially heat up um if we lose these 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 white sulfates, they're 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 the they're the good you know the aerosols that that reflect sunlight. They're they're known as the white sulfates, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's another thing to think about, and that that effect yeah. happens very rapidly. Yeah, I think twenty twenty three could be a sort of perfect storm uh, kind of thing. Uh, 
yeah. uh, you know, what they say after big hurricanes and stuff. Uh, and some of these hurricanes, they in the um, Caribbean and, and, and things, they actually travel, the same hurricane will travel over a less developed society or an island, a nation, and then end up in, in Florida, in America, which is kind of a more more developed society. And the, the reason that the um, the sociologists or economists or whatever, the reason the, that they uh, point out that a lot of people die in this country, but not up in America, is exactly that uh, there are more resources and more money and uh, sort of more um, levies and uh, protections. Um, yeah, so, so you have the same storm uh, ravaging different territories, but it's sort of the rich societies that are able to, to cope in a better way. Uh, so that, that goes away if you have a sort of perfect storm there. There, the energy. There's a shortage of energy. There's a shortage of food to eat for everybody, and uh, and there are enormous, uh, powerful storms and tornadoes and drought events and uh, and flooding is going on at the same time. You know, because then then you can no longer do like you know, over in Europe if there is a big wildfire going on in Sweden, then, the, then Italians and Spanish will send helicopters and, and firefighter jets up uh, across the, the continent to help Sweden. That will be a thing of, of the past because it will burn everywhere <laughs> and, and nobody will be ever uh, able to sort of reach out a helping hand because everybody will just be, every nation and region will just be uh, totally preoccupied with, with saving themselves. So that changes a lot, I think. And I think um, the more regular type of um, uh, development help, what do you call that? And, you know, food, food assistance to oh, yeah, countries. Oh, yeah, aid. USAID, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff will sort of just go away because everybody will be swamped in their own flooded out swamp, uh, like Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah, um, well, you were talking about the storms. Um, you know, James Hansen's book, Storms of My Grandchildren, uh, those storms, from what I understand, haven't started yet. Because no. those storms will start once this ice inertia really gets loosened, you know, when you start really getting melting of of the ice sheets much more in, in Greenland and Antarctica. Um, those storms are yet to come. and But we're still, I mean, a lot of the buildings, like if you look at Florida, are um, are only able to withstand, I think up to category five, you have to fact check me on that. And there could have been some hurricanes already that were above a category five. Um, yeah, you know, they're talking about uh, they're talking about uh, inserting a category six uh, yeah. scale just to make it more realistic. Mm. Yeah, so Florida has gotten lucky because some of those hurricanes that may have hit the Caribbean were above category five. I can't re recall which ones, but um, but yeah. So, but but the storms of my grandchildren have not started yet. 
<laughs> so that's a, that's the white pill for for tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> least, that, that hasn't started. Yeah. yeah so um, I don't know. There's a big it's a big picture and. Uh, what do you think will happen with the Russia-NATO conflict uh, in the midst of El Nino and all of these things? Do you think uh, do you think the politicians will rise up and uh, realize that they shouldn't be fighting and make peace? The, oh, I, I think the politicians are going to have to retreat to their bunkers because their 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 whole there's nothing they can do to fix this. This is. Um, you know, the best thing they can do is just get out of the way. I think if anything, um, I think federal governments are going to collapse and I think there's going to be much more regional governments. However, I don't know how this energy situation is going to play out because, um, countries are going to have to re really rely on their neighbors and countries that have energy, energy, um, are going to be, you know, are, you know, even if they don't have food, they'll be able to trade their energy. So it's just really hard. I don't know if the, the governmental infrastructure can stay as it is because it's, it's, it's based on another economic system that is collapsing. So, um, but I do, I do notice though, that, that the, you know, people like Putin is much more, um, he got his PhD in energy. So in he, and he, he wrote, I think he wrote his PhD on this, the, what collapsed the Soviet union was a mismanagement of energy. Um, yeah. so he understands energy, probably, you know, he's the leader that understands energy the best. And so, um, um, so yeah, he, he's probably, I, you know, he might be able, he might have plans on, you know, what to do in his own country or whatever. Um, China's got a big problem because they have so many people, you know, I know they've been buying a lot of, 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 of food reserves, a lot of food reserves, um, a lot of rice and grains. They've been, you know, there's been so many articles about that in the last years because they have so many people to feed. So it's really hard to know how this is all going to unravel, but for sure, like the whole neoliberal economic system, I mean, those, those people, the leaders, they think in neoliberal ways and there's just, that's all going to collapse and they're just going to have to just leave, you know? I mean, unless they, I, I, I don't see any other, other way. I mean, I think Mac what's interesting is Macron he gave a speech last year to the French people um, saying that the age of abundance is over and mm. that we have to start getting ready. Cause he, of course he, you know, his, his pop, you know, the French people are ahead of everyone in turn in the, in the, in the wealthy countries, not, you know, in the Western wealthy countries, the French are ahead in terms of protesting, you know, they're, they're the leaders in that. So he, he really? had to, he had to start being upfront with his, with his, um, with the citizens of, of France. And, um, so he, but however, I think what's making so many protesters upset right now is that the, they're, he's, they're not doing anything 
the rich are the the very wealthy are not being asked to make any sacrifices. So, but at least Macron is is sort of like and you know he's trying to break ties with with the U.S. and so he's he because he knows that he's going to have to re- they're going to have to rely on Russia for their oil because of geographics. You know what I mean? I mean. shipping of LNG from the U S can only last for so long. You, you need, you need cheap and you need reliable. So, um, so yeah, I, it's, you know, I think some of the countries that are looking ahead are, are are able to break from the U S are doing that. Like, like for example, there's a couple of other countries in Europe that are realizing that they better start breaking away because they're going to need that, that energy from Russia, you know what I mean? Yeah, like Italy. You know, I was at the this week. I was at the um, the U.S. embassy here in Nuuk, here in Greenland, and uh, it's it's kind of um, it's kind of like stepping into a different world from the world that you and I are talking about, right? Because <laughs> in, in that uh, in that uh, sort of normie world, you don't have these problems. You only have those problems. You only have the the, the conflict in Ukraine and stuff. Uh, so there was a lot of talk about sort of the Siberia and the Northeast Passage for uh, for goods and transport, and uh, it, it kind of got me thinking um, because. Uh, there are so many sort of unrealistic narratives or unrealistic plans for the future, right? Uh, you have this big uh, new Green New Deal thing in Europe and, and in Washington. Uh, so one of the things that I started thinking about was that uh, if everything is going in their in their view, right? If everything is going to run on batteries, like. Uh, ferries and cars and even airplanes are going to run on batteries in their sort of pie-in-the-sky future. One of the things that might actually happen if they believe that, right, and and we don't collapse uh, economically in in the next 90 months, um, one of the things that might happen was that the, the, let's say, the uh, the eastern coast of Greenland uh, might be a charging, you know, if you if you build uh, hydropower uh, dams and hydropower uh, stations, you could actually see hydroelectricity being produced in regions where nobody lives, uh, and the, and that, that that electricity could be used to charge batteries. Uh, for export to other countries, that is, that is one possibility. Because Greenland has um, said a definitive no to oil and gas exploration, so they won't even look for it. Um, that was decided on uh, summer solstice 2021, I think, by the by the government. Uh, but the, but they are sort of they are planning to join the Paris Agreement for some reason. Uh, and and they are so they are planning for um trying to be a part of the of the sort of global green economy um, yeah so so you could actually see 
an even more extreme uh, version of, of that uh, vision for the future would be that Greenland could use its uh, plentiful uh, resources of rare earth uh, minerals uh, to, to produce. You could actually produce the the batteries in Greenland and charge them and charge them uh, by uh, hydroelectricity because what we have is a lot of meltwater. I'm sure you know from, from nature. The, the, the problem with that is you need cheap fossil fuels for green energy. So um, as we run out of cheap fossil, and that's part of, green energy is part of complexity. And right now the, cha the challenge is just, um, is just going to be, um, we're going to be losing complexity because complexity is very hungry for cheap fossil fuels and there's just not enough. So, so I could see, I could see them turning to hydroelectric, but just for the local areas, but not, not for this. I mean, that's just, that's just hopium for batteries. Um, yeah, I think, I think you could, could, you could enter into that, uh, discussion that you have, you know, green on this, uh, it's still sort of under the, the Danish queen and you also have Traditionally, you had no Norwegian uh, uh, royal power over over Greenland. So you have the North Sea and and the uh, and the, the Norwegian Sea oil fields that are very close by uh, Greenland. Uh, so you could have a kind of a Nordic uh, cooperation where you have enough uh, fossil fuels to to do to make the the big green transition uh, with hydroelectricity from Greenland. Um, because there is already talk about uh, Greenland producing hydroelectricity for other countries, but they're, they're then kind of thinking about exporting that electricity through uh, undersea cables, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not saying yeah. this will happen, but, but it's just one of the things that, that uh, might happen if it doesn't come crashing yeah. down. Exactly, yeah. I think I think the scary part is, and Richard Heinberg, I re recommend checking him out. He's really he he's from the Post Carbon Institute, and he um, he said that we should try to things are. It seems like things are I mean, this. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure his time scale, but um, he's he's recommending that we try to salvage the grid because of we don't want to lose information. And so, you know, I mean, it's so many unthinkable things are as we lose um, as we lose cheap energy and then extreme weather gets worse and you need cheap energy to fix all of the problems from extreme weather. Um, and as this is all collapsing and you need to feed the world, um, he, he's he's recommending that um, we salvage. Um, the electric grid so that we can, um, so that we don't lose information, you know, um, if that, that would be a good corporate, you know, co cooperative thing to do. Um, but I, we're, things are just so unknown, but we have to understand, I think people don't understand the, how energy is behind the rise and fall of civilizations, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I think most most politicians don't want to share this with the public 
um, because, you know, things have been very good. We've been, ha we've had, well, we've, we had very cheap fossil fuels up until like 1970. Um, and then we had a lot of, uh, different financial tools to, uh, to hide that we had peaked in the cheap energy, um, starting mm -hmm. in the 70s. We had financial tools, but now we have, we, those financial tools are not working anymore. So, um, and also we had, you know, improved efficiency that helped. However, now we've, we're, we're, we're hitting a wall and we don't have any other tools remaining except for the, the whole system. The, the system um, is just, it's just, it's vulnerable to collapse right now. And I don't know, I don't know if you could have a slow collapse, if it's going to be a fast collapse, if it's, you know, um, if things are just, you know, things are going to naturally just um, with energy, is, is the energy going to go to things that are more necessities? Is that going to just naturally happen? And, you know, who knows? You know what I mean? But it's, yeah. it's scary, you know, what, what's just it's we have to learn to um live in the unknown you know what i mean mm -hmm. about the the loss of information i had a thought this week about the uh, uh, loss of knowledge uh, because if you have um one billion species living on the on the planet today um each of these uh, species they have a knowledge that goes back uh, millennia and uh, billions, millions of years uh, in how to how to live, and you know, not to how to live morally or ethically, but uh, how to how to find food, how to find rest, how to engage with the rest of uh, the ecosystems, and, and that is kind of the the big mega super big story is that we're going to lose knowledge as a collective of uh, life forms on this planet. Uh, we're going to lose lose knowledge big time. You know, if you, if you lose the, the squirrel over there and the uh, deer over there uh, and the salamander, um, we're going to lose knowledge in, in a very big way. And you have the, the ecological effects of um what's that called um an avalanche of uh of species loss you know if you lose these and these key species uh, in an ecosystem then all the other go ones go or most of the other ones go because they were dependent completely on on that salamander or on those mosquitoes uh for feeding their their young um so that's a, a big thing that we want to uh, avoid as much as possible uh, we would like to uh, remove this uh, toxic uh, system that humans have created um, you know from the from the Gaia perspective we, we would like to put an end to the endless pouring of microplastics into the oceans uh, because if we don't, then, then everything is just going to, we're going to lose all the knowledge and uh, there will only be sort of lichen, lichen again, uh, left. Um, 
so yeah so maybe this uh Elenio is a good thing maybe it's uh it's a start of a start of a very rapid evolution the only thing i worry about of this el nino is the arctic and the methane because the you know i was reading in hansen's book the methane clathrate gun is is fully loaded and well he doesn't he didn't say it's specifically where he said just the shallow continental shells around the planet um, that it's the, the methane, the amount of methane and methane hydrates is fully loaded and it's could be larger than pre PETM. Um, and also he, in his book, he talks about the fact that, um, the sun is 2%, is it 2% hotter than, than during the Permian 250 million years ago. So, um, the threshold, the CO2 threshold is not as as high um so basically the co2 threshold that you know the permian um in terms of the you know of the vulnerability of the planet going into um uh you know going into lifelessness you know what i mean is 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 higher now because the sun is is two percent hotter than the Permian. I I hope I got that information right. Um, so if those met, you know, with all that amount of methane in the shallow continental shells, particularly like a lot of it concentrated in ESAS, that's a way of a lot of carbon getting into the atmosphere quickly. So that's that's my worry um, is that you know according to uh, scientists the Earth has about a billion years left anyway before the sun just gets too hot to sustain life, but I hope humans don't do that prematurely you know and, and that's mm -hmm. what I worry about um, with this Arctic situation. Yeah, I saw I saw some um, over the past month I think I saw some formulation of a narrative there where the uh, the oceans would vaporize in in the far future uh, you know if if, uh, if things run away with the warming uh, so i think one of the things i think we may look into in future shows is uh, you know let's say that the civilization is collapsed already or have been collapsed already uh how how bad is it going to be uh, with the warming and all the other effects of civilization for the rest of the species right uh, yeah. how soon could uh, could it really turn around or stabilize uh with the warming uh one thing I'm very sure about is that the sea level rise from Greenland and Antarctica alone is, is not going to be a big problem for, let's say, the fish or the uh, eagles and ravens and uh, either birds that we have around here. Um, if you flood, if you flood a valley region like London, for instance, it's a big deal for uh, for the city. <laughs> for the people living there and even for the economy um it's not such a big deal 
for the birds. It's not such a big deal for the fishes. Um, it's much less of a deal for almost every other living being, right? Uh, so that's ju just the sea uh, expanding and uh, and flooding areas isn't. It's not a big deal at all. Uh, it's almost like an equalizer or, or sort of a Robin Hood uh, kind of ecological Robin Hood thing. <laughs> for, it's for actually it's actually better because you release all that ice inertia um, from. Yeah. But, but of course, the mainstream scientists like to freak everyone out about sea level rise because it's all about saving this civilization. Because, yeah. you know, the major cities are in coast, coastal areas. So it's mainly that. Um, another so are you saying, are yeah. you saying that the, the ice from the poles could cool things down for the, for the aftermath? Is that what you're saying? Is that a possibility? Yeah, I mean, Maybe. basically, that's yeah. what Chris Van Steenbergen, um, and, and you know, that's what uh, James Hansen has talked about ice inertia. It's so it, you, you know, could kind of have a you could kind of have a natural uh, climate regulation system. Uh, yeah, with, uh, yeah. It could slow that's down. The, it could slow down the the ocean warming. Um, and yeah. but, but no, but scientists don't want to talk about that because they're they're desperately desperately trying to save the civilization. And that's my yeah, understanding. That's, you don't want to talk kind about that. That's a really, really great point, and that's kind of their mandate. You know, they don't have a project after civilization collapses. So exactly. They're, kind of, they're hired to to only research uh, this side of collapse and not the other side. Exactly. Yeah. For for me civilization collapse is the most beautiful thing what what's scary is the is what scares me is the i don't care about my life i i care about um the you know what what you care about is 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 other life on this planet and and so um the things that scare me more are, is are those methane is that methane hydrate right and the fact that mm -hmm. the sun is hotter now and so for me I'm happy to know that that Antarctic ice is going to melt, um, and 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 to release that inertia to you know to 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 stop the planet um, from going into a, you know overheating and and possibly uh, who knows you know what I mean um, and also um, yeah so I don't. It, I don't uh, really understand why would you say why would you say why do you think you are scared about the the methane bomb going off because the way I understand it that is just uh, you know one little or a big part of it but it's a it's one part of it that will uh, speed up the melting of the Greenland, and uh, it will speed up sea level rise and uh, and melting of uh, Antarctica as well. So it's it's just kind of going to uh, let's say um, jazz up the other things that that you and I say are good. So I don't, I don't really understand why methane should be seen in a different way from the other side. Can I, you I, explain I, that? 
Yeah, no, you know, now that now you, you're help, you're helping me think through this because I'm, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help. No, you're helping. Yeah. You're helping because yeah. if we look at the uh, previous extinct, the big extinctions, the Permian and the PTM. PTM happened 50 million years ago. The temperatures rose, uh, I think, between five and nine degrees Celsius, um, and However, during those times, you they were in warm periods, so they didn't have all the ice sheets that we have now. So you bring up a good point. You you still have those ice sheets because yeah. we're you know what I mean. So see, this is these are things that because all the science that is communicated is all about saving the civilization. We don't get to even think about all this other stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's you a big have a very good point because you still have that inertia. That's a big uh, responsibility for the extinction update. We need to be sort of yeah. an IPCC uh, of our own, you know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but thank you for that. We have, we have the, that. We, yeah, we have the mandate, or we're giving ourselves the mandate to to look beyond the collapse because there's no way to avoid collapse and uh, as we said earlier on this show you're in collapse it's, it's just not the uh, it's just not run its course uh, to the end yeah exactly right? exactly and i know this is gonna sound crazy and i hope we don't get in trouble for saying this on this video it, can i say something controversial or no on this sure. video are you are you sure. sure okay it's about it's about covid mm-hmm. because I'm starting to wonder if the leak of COVID could have been in t- intentional to hurt the Chinese. And the reason I say this is because suddenly we are want to go to war with China so badly. Um, and, and so this is just a way to weak, weaken them because, because COVID u- being used as a bioweapon, an intentional leak. So, I know that may sound crazy. It's just something to think about, you know, um, to disrupt things. Yeah, over. um, you know, uh, absolutely possible. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I'm more black pilled in that regard. Uh, <laughs> I have. Have you read the uh, Josh Orwell, nineteen eighty four? I didn't read him, but I, I, I saw a beautiful documentary on him. A very, very yeah, so, fascinating so, guy. So what, what I'm what I'm thinking about is, you know, in that novel, you have sort of um, East Asia and uh, Oceania um, collaborating in the, you know, behind the scenes. And the, oh, the, wars, are, the wars that I fought are against the population against their populations, right? So the way I see it with, with this uh, with this so-called uh, pandemic is it's, it's more like, um, uh, yeah, it's uncontroversial to say that uh, there was a cooperation in at the laboratory in, in China, in Wuhan, right? There was a Chinese-American cooperation to, to develop uh, something, um, and you know, 
what if the entire thing was a collaboration? And uh, because if you see, if you look at uh, how things were, were communicated, both from China and the WHO and from America, it was communicated in a in a in a way that was very antithetical to stopping it, very antithetical to to containing it you know people were making memes about about uh, this who guy uh tedros uh, saying why contain it you know because everything he was doing was was kind of letting it run free all over the planet uh for whatever reason that was just a just from uh, watching their press press releases and stuff uh, that was kind of the impression I got anyway uh, from from the start of the pandemic, and yeah. So, so uh, back to what you were, you were saying. Where were you going with? Um, why did you start talking about it? What was your point, uh, really? Well, just just the crate. You know, I mean, just it, it, like you were talking about, things are just getting Orwellian, where. Things are just the lies of the the lies of our government are just getting so huge. I mean, just the fact that we just blew up the Nord Stream pipeline and mm -hmm. making up all these lies, and then it just it, it it's getting Orwellian. I, I guess when you mentioned that word, that's why I thought that in the way we were planning on attacking China, which I think is completely insane because we we don't even have a manufacturing base to even you know we're having there's been a problem with with just ammo in Ukraine, you know what I mean? Uh, we don't have the, mm -hmm. we, you know, the, the richer countries are not, 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 not in a good place in, in terms of manufacturing. So just all this insane stuff, just trying to, um, but yeah, th to be continued, let, let's continue this conversation. I've got to get going. But, uh, oh, but uh, uh, yeah. Uh, do you, do you agree at least? halfway that it might be distraction game as you're trying to distract from the bigger collapse thing I think, I think there's some serious geopolitical warfare going on it's a it's it they're not cooperating with each other like there's definitely mm -hmm. uh serious fighting going on and um you know they're the way they're planning it is business they're just thinking business as usual um, continuing because they want to maintain power for as long as they want to. Even even um, Lord Hugh was 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 warning us: war is coming, you guys. War is coming. He kept on saying that. I thought he was a little crazy when he said that. How could we have war in this day and age? You know what I mean? Especially between big powers with nuclear arms. I'm like, are you crazy, Lord Hugh? But look, he he died just before the Ukraine war started. I'm just thinking about the their narratives. You know, the the elite uh, narratives are collapsing very fast these days. You know, with Twitter being a, a free speech zone and stuff. So, so I'm thinking that if you were, if we were the deep state, we would have to go to war and keep war going uh, continuously because the, it's sort of the other, the only way to to keep uh, to stay in control. Uh, because otherwise they would be revealed like the naked emperor from a fairy tale, right? 
So. Yeah, yeah, no, they they they're they're power hungry and they're desperate. They don't want to lose their power, and it's sort of like. Um, you know, like the Nazis, they, they just kept, you know, after Stalingrad, they just, and they were just so clearly losing and they mm. just, they wouldn't give up. You know what I mean? Um, mm. And um, I feel that's the same way as, as this empire. They just, they, they cannot imagine losing power. So, um, and, and even as everything is just collapsing, they don't want to lose their power. You know what I mean? Which um, I think that the craziness is, I don't think it's a, a it, it's, um, they're truly trying to, they're freaked out because they're probably afraid that the Russians could do an EMP attack or something or some kind of attack um, um, to the U.S. and um, come and take the resources of the U.S. You know what I mean? Because we produce most of our own um, oil and, you know, any country with, with, with some of the advanced, um, weaponry, uh, who knows what they could do? You know what I mean? So this is, this is getting very serious for And a lot of it is a fight for energy and resources. Yeah. Just before you go, uh, I was thinking about the, uh, expression, uh, with face mask, uh, you know, calling, we, we might differ, uh, call the um, the Green New Deal and this new green industrial uh, revolution. <laughs> we, could, we, could, we, could, we could call that the, the face mask of the climate uh, debate, right? So the, the face mask doesn't work. It doesn't stop uh, microorganisms. So the face mask of the climate discussion is... Uh, Turning everything uh, into electric, uh, electric engines—it's uh, kind of the same thing. Uh, they, they, they know they know that there's nothing that they can do, and yeah. so they have to make it look. And I learned this so well from Lord Hugh. They have to make it look like they're in control. So this mm. whole green industrial thing or whatever um, is to you know just—they always have to make sure that yeah that. The, it's hard for us to imagine because we're not we don't have we're not hungry for power, but you have to yeah. put yourself in the shoes of someone who is power power hungry, you know, and um, it it's hard. It's just you know, um, it's it's hard to even yeah. So basically, it'll be interesting now as we. Um, as the energy crisis gets worse, we're gonna we're not you know people are going to, their eating habits are going to have to change because like eating meat requires a lot of energy and water and there's a lot of droughts. So, um, you know, it, and we're not going to have all that compl complex trade. I mean, I know as a vegan, it's going to get harder and harder for me. It already is. Fake meat is getting okay. harder. So, um, so it's going <laughs> to, we're going to be going to the very basics, you know? So, yeah. Or maybe it's uh, it's like the vaccine, you know, which uh, which which isn't a vaccine uh, unless you change the definition, you know. So so then you have the the green new deal, uh, which is not a deal, not new, and neither green, right? So it's it's kind of uh, we're sort of in a, in an age of uh, 
complete uh, deceit or uh, complete lies, right? Like uh, or yeah. we also talked about. Yeah. So uh, in an yeah. in an age of uh, in an age of complete deceit, telling the truth is uh, a revolutionary act. I think it's one of his. Yeah. Quotes. And people people know and people know that it's just that they're in Orwellian times, but they just, it's in their subconscious and they just, they're just, they're, there are a lot of people are scared, you know, and, and, um, they just don't, you know, they don't know what to do. Um, and I mean, it's just shocking that the Germans just, just didn't do any, you know, after their, there was a, it was a terror attack on, in their own, you know, in their own country, in a, against their own country and, and by their friend, you know, that was supposed to be their ally, you know? Mm-hmm. So the whole, and the Germans, you would think that they would react more strongly. I think they're terrified, you know, they know things are not right. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's quite, it's, yeah, to be continued, Torsine. Love, love this conversation. Yeah, I think that's a nice uh, place to end. And um, can you just stick around for half a minute uh, after sure. I sure. turn off the thing? Yeah. Okay. Thank, thank Goodbye. you, everybody, for watching. And uh, this was another step in the direction of giving, getting a complete picture of what the fuck is going on on this planet. <laughs> Thanks for joining Bye. us.